I've never been on YouTube in my life <laughs> till then. And 50 million views later. Oh, that's so, so crazy. I love that story. And I'm sure you're going to be able to tell us how to go viral, right? Because you planned all this out. 100%. Well, of course, you know, that was my master plan, you know, <laughs> go viral. No, never in a million years that I thought that, that I, the, never in a million years I ever thought any of this would have ever went. <laughs> Hey, I'm Dee Lauderdale, and this is the Playbook for Men podcast. My guest today, okay, so when I was trying to come up with how to introduce our guest, I started making a list of all the stuff that he does. So this is my list that I came up with. Salesman, YouTube star, promoter, radio show, master storyteller, and all-around hustler. Did I get close to your jobs? That's that's pretty much the gist of it. <laughs> His name's Rob Pitts, and uh, he goes, does anybody call you Rabbit for real? Yes, actually, a lot. Um, nobody in my family calls me Rabbit or anything like that, but you will go to an event or something like that, and you know everybody, that's the go-to name. So I, I answer to just about anything. So it's funny because it's not like your voice is not distinctive enough that you needed a distinctive nickname. Yeah, it just worked out that way. You know, I didn't get to pick out that nickname. It was kind of given to me. It just stuck. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, I, I discovered Rob uh, a little while ago on YouTube. He's associated with a group, uh, with a company in Atlanta called VinWiki. And um, so on the YouTube channel, they just tell they just sit around and tell great car stories. And Rob has, let's see, in your car business, you've done a pay here, a buy here, pay here a lot, and you've done used cars, right? Yes. And I you've worked sold, in new stores. Yeah, I've worked in new car franchises. I have worked, actually, to correction, I've worked in a new car franchise. I've worked in one new car dealership. Okay. Um, I've worked with several small used car lots, which is what got me into sales, period, working with small used car lots. Um that I've worked every facet of the automotive sales work, basically from one, one end of the spectrum to the other at one time or another. And now I sell buy and sell collector cars. That's kind of, that's where my heart's at. I sell fun stuff. I sell nothing you need things. You, I sell wants. Basically <laughs> at the end of the day. <laughs> well, and what that has turned out is he's just got this wealth of stories. And so rather than uh, get him to tell stories tonight, just go to YouTube search for Rob Pitts, P-I-T-T-S, you'll find him immediately and just listen to him. And and if I could tell you to listen to two that I think are awesome, uh, one is about the gentleman who uh, the first time he ever rode in an airplane, he owned the airplane, which I think is a fabulous story. And, company, yeah. yeah, which was awesome. And then the one where the guy wanted a white truck and you sold him a black one, plus like 10 others on your first day and working at a dealership. Yeah, that one, that one was a little beginner's luck that day, I believe on my side, but definitely, definitely ended up being a pretty good day. <laughs> so go listen. You'll hear some great stories. We're just going to learn a little bit about the guy. So basic questions. Where, where'd you grow up, Rob? I grew up right here in Greenville, South Carolina. You know, we're dead smack in the middle between Atlanta and Charlotte. And kind of booming, isn't it? It is. Um, in the last 10 to 15 years, 
you know, this area has really just took off. You know, you got to think about it. Atlanta's gotten so big and so congested. You know, Atlanta's turned into part of Georgia, just the state. It's just an area now. Yeah. You know, and, and Charlotte's done the same thing. So naturally, people had kind of, you know, to get away from it came here. Well, now we're growing and, and getting bigger. I joke with people all the time, and this was the best way to describe Greenville. We still get excited when a new cheesecake factory opens up. <laughs> That's how I describe Greenville. Like we're 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 not huge, but we're not small. Well, I can't say much because here in Huntsville, where I live, we're excited because we're getting our first Whataburger franchise is opening here in Madison. So, I mean, I get it when you're in a, a booming area, kind of like we are. So, so I understand. So, one of the things that that really uh, impresses me about you is this relationship you have with your dad. I mean, you say over and over again, he's more your best friend than your dad. So tell me, how did that relationship develop to that point? You know, I think a lot of it was, you know, I, I wasn't exactly a planned pregnancy. Okay. You know, my dad, and my mother have been married for 43 years now or yeah. 42, almost 42 years. And you know, yeah, I think about my parents were really young. My dad was just turned 20 or had been just turned 20. And my mother had just turned 21 when, when they had me. And you got to think, yeah, we kind of grew up together. I mean, yeah. hell, I'm 42. My dad's 62. Yeah. He'll be 62 in January. So, I mean, you got to think, you know, like my old man was never really an old man, you know? So it's kind of <laughs> like, and you gotta th- you gotta, and then this is the thing you got to think about. Like my dad wasn't the normal dad, you know, you know, my dad raced pro mod, you know, he was that guy. Right. And, you know, so my dad was like the, the high school football coach, Mr. Cool. Like all my friends thought it was the coolest thing ever because he was a drag racer and all that stuff. Right. But, you know, me and my dad, it was, it's just funny. And, and I was extremely close to my grandfather. Also, all the three of us were really just tight. Um, and it's just, it's one of those things. I see my dad literally, he lives an hour away now and uh, they moved out on the lake, but I still see him five times a week. Oh, wow. And you know, we talk every day and just, he still gives me hell about everything I do. He's like a friend. I mean, (laughs) and I think I really wanted to say this when we were talking about the questions and maybe think about it, you know, everybody asked me, like, where do you get your drive from? And my dad was the biggest, just, just hard ass, the best way to put it yeah. on me growing up. Yeah. He, I mean, I didn't get away with nothing, you know, nothing at all. And, um, you know, and that was the thing, like whenever I sold a car, he goes, took you long enough or, <laughs> you know, just, and it didn't mean out of meanness. It's just how it was, you know, and, or, yeah, well, you got lucky on that one. You realize I've sold over 1200 cars in my life. <laughs> 1200 cars that's ridiculous yeah but i'm lucky and to this day boy you lucked out on that one (laughs) there any skill any just give me something (laughs) if he told me i did a good job i would probably have a coronary on spot you know um but i think that also pushed me okay because of that um and he knows it because when i'm not around you'll hear him in the background like that kid can sell anything. <laughs> and, you know, like you see what he's doing, you know, yeah. and this and this, yeah, you know, or, and, and, and so, so I catch him bragging on me every once in a while. He's been slipping a little bit, but I like to think 
because of that, it pushed me to go further. You know, instead of getting that pat on the back, you know, I mean, he, he was proud of me. I mean, he wasn't mean about it, but he was like, is that all you got? You know, I mean, just so you just keep going and you keep going. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's kind of a it's kind of a, a double ended <laughs> comment when he said it. And it just came to mind. I've been divorced twice. And and I'll never forget. I walked in on my dad talking to one of his buddies mm-hmm. and uh, he goes, that kid, I have never seen anything he couldn't do, but damn, stay married. You know, so on one hand, it made me smile. On the other hand, I'm just like, do you do you think he just knew or he learned early on in life what your hot buttons were for motivation? Um, yes. Um, you know, I know where I get that thrill. I know, you know, things like that. You know, the biggest thing, and everybody knows this in sales, at the end of the day, the product is the product. All you can do is talk about that. Mm -hmm. What you're selling is the sizzle. You're selling the excitement. You're selling, you know, the comfort because you're making your customer feel comfortable. You know what I'm saying? You're selling those laughs. You know, I did stand-up comedy for a little while. And, and, you know, I had a good little stint in that. And, and, you know, and I've got several friends that were in the comedy stuff with me back in, I mean, hole-in-the-wall clubs. I saw a man get stabbed. Oh. This shows you the level of club we were playing at. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's like kind of the, one of those places, like if you didn't have a gun or knife, they issued you one at the door. <laughs> um, the, uh, and, uh, you know, we, we played some rough places. And looking back, there's places I wouldn't walk in now. Yeah. But, uh, and we just wanted to be heard. We wanted to tell our jokes, you know. And, and you know, a good friend of mine, he ended up starting a really successful landscaping company. And you know, we told jokes everywhere. And now, you know, he's got, you know, 12 trucks going around and all this stuff. Um, but his big thing was, you know, being here, we'll have lunch every once in a while or, you know, just laugh and cut up, talk about the old days a little bit, you know, whatever, shop talk. And he, uh, he goes, he goes, he said, you ever found it funny that you learned more from sales doing stand up comedy than you did from any book you would ever read or from anything you ever heard? Because this is the thing you understand, you know, if you're a musician and you miss a chord, Nine times out of 10, the rest of the band's playing right. They'll never know it. Yeah. Or if you're a singer and, you know, you don't hit that note just right, you got the lights and the smoke and you got everything going around. But if you tell, if you're a comedian and you tell one bad joke, your night's over with. Yep. There's no coming back from that. And, you know, there's nothing like that thrill when you've got, you know, 200 sets of eyeballs staring at you Yeah. on, you know, and just like basically waiting for you to make me laugh. Yep. And, you know, you got about 30 seconds to get it going. Mm-hmm. If not, you better be trying to find an exit strategy, you know? Yeah. I, I've got a good buddy who's a stand-up comedian. His name's Killer Bees. Oh, yeah. And, and Killer and I have had this talk about how quickly, because I'm a public speaker too, so we were talking about the differences and he said exactly what you did, which was 30 seconds. He said, if they're not laughing within 30 seconds, you're dead. Exactly. You know, we, we used to play some really, really rough clubs in Atlanta and I'll never forget. They didn't boo you in Atlanta. They gave you the keys. What does that mean? So you'd be sitting in the club and usually these were open mics, things like that. And 
you know, there'd be 30 other guys standing in line and they'd get out there and they'd get their little notepads out and they'd fold it over on the stool and, you know, they'd grab the mic and they'd lean up on it. And next thing you know, and I mean, they'll say something, and Lord forbid, if that first sentence didn't take, yeah, if, it, if, it, if you didn't make a connection there, they get their keys out and they start shaking. <laughs> this is the thing. When you think about 200 people just going, that's a horrible feeling. That is a horrible feeling. That's cold blooded. That, that, that's, you know what? That's life. Unfortunately, I, I'd rather them boo me. <laughs> I mean, anything's better than that. That's just bad. I, but when you see everybody got their key, that was their thing. And the next thing you know, you start getting the light, the light in the back row shining, wrap it up. You know, <laughs> you started getting the flashlight in the DJ booth. Oh, that's uh, I can't imagine that, but it, it is, um, public speaking whether it's what you do or what i do it anytime it's just you and a microphone and there's more than about 20 sets of eyes on you that's the loneliest scariest feeling there ever can be oh yeah and and, and you either like it or you run from it exactly it's it only goes two ways there's nobody in between on that one yeah yeah i mean you just you just run uh you guys own a. You've got a business too that your that your family business, right? That your grandfather right. started. My grandfather started a diesel truck shop in 1968. Okay. Um, my dad ran it for a long ran it for a long time. He's still because now because of schedule, I I can only bounce back and forth. I have my warehouse here, my truck shop, which is about 10 minutes away. Yeah, we're right here off Main Street in downtown Greenville, but. You know, so because of scheduling, like, you know, I filmed a pilot earlier this year. So I was out in Texas for a little while. And, you know, so naturally, so dad comes back in. But I took the shop over in about 08 and just really, you know, took the reins. And and, and we've got some great guys there. we got guys there my grandfather hired. That's awesome. And, and, you know, it's like a big family. I mean, there's guys there that when I was nine years old, I met for the first time working there. And so they're, they're like, I'm an only child, so hell these guys are like my big brothers. You yeah. know I mean? I know them, you yeah. know, and, and, you know, it's a family affair all the way around. My grandfather started that. And you talk about, you know, an inspirational thing. My grandfather started that truck shop with a $300 loan on a 65 Mustang. <laughs> but you know what? He took that one chance and never worked for anyone else the rest of his life. And you got to think about it. my dad has never worked for anybody, but himself his entire life. Wow. Other than, I guess what he worked for his father for a little while. Obviously. Yeah. But that's it. He's never worked. You know, like I, ba- I worked at a grocery store bagging groceries, you know, in high school. My yep. dad never did that. You know, really? He never, my dad never had, my dad, my dad don't even know what a time clock is. Wow. You know, I mean, because he never used one. He, he wasn't nothing. So I, I think that is something that kind of gets passed down from generation to generation. I mean, you're at the point now where you're not working. You haven't really worked for other people that much. You've had a couple of stints in places, but majority of your time's been on your own right yeah yeah um, i worked uh you know i did a lot of sub stuff you know obviously with small car lots yeah you know, doing that and uh did that for a little while i did go to work at a new car dealership so i had people to answer for there and that was that was fun that was more experience yeah um and, and it was fun you know and 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 it was it's a little different clientele it was a little different just dealing with Swimming with other sharks, I guess the other mm-hmm. salesmen there, you know, and 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 I'll be honest with you, I, I was always curious to see how I worked in a crowd. 
you know, with, with other salesmen. Yeah. And I learned real quick, not well, because they didn't like me right off the bat. <laughs> I was pretty good at it. You're getting all the ups. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, uh, they're, they're, they were not, they were not, they were not big fans of me. Uh, uh you know I, what I'm saying? But, I, but, you know, I mean, they were nice. I mean, I say that, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I was the, so, the funniest thing ever, and I've told this a million times to make people laugh. I sold new Fords. I worked at a Ford franchise and I sold new Fords, but I was the only, and keep in mind, I was 2006. Oh, hell, that's been 14 years ago. Yeah, 14 years ago. Now, I mean, you got to think, you know, I was 30 or almost, you know, or 28. Yeah. And uh, I was driving a new Corvette, you know, come in. Slack, starch, straight from the dry cleaners. I was that guy. I mean, literally dressed like I was about to preach a sermon. <laughs> and uh, and you know these other salesmen with their with their wrinkled up golf shirt and you know literally the khaki pants they probably been wearing all week long, praying for a buy. Yeah, and the guy comes driving up with a new Corvette, working at the Ford store, and joking around. You know, he said, "You know how many Fords I got to sell to drive a car like that?" <laughs> you know, and it made me park in the back. Because they said it looked bad for me to get out of a Corvette. So, <laughs> to go in the Ford store. <laughs> so so what my favorite saying was, uh, we had one salesman there. He always took a demo home. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he always drove an F-150. And he'd park it right outside that side door. Because everybody asked him, what do you drive? I said, you see a little F-150 right there? You know? Yeah. yeah. As I get in my jet black Corvette and drive home. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but, you know, that was the... Uh, that was that was kind of the joke with that, but you know it's all in what you set your mind to. That's what I wanted. Now yeah. looking back, I wish I set my mind more to retirement instead of buying a damn car. <laughs> but you know, you live in your. Well, I, I think what I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on this, but I think what most people don't understand that the real money to be made in the car business is not selling new cars; it's selling used cars. I know three different men that are millionaires from having buy here, pay here lots selling, you know, $3,000 cars that they paid $800 for at the sale. Well, you know, you got to think about tote the note lots like that mm-hmm. and how they work. You know, it's all about books. You got to keep them on the books. You got to keep them on the books. You got to keep them on the books. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had a small town. We had a small time buy here, pay here lot, which keep in mind, there's a lot of headaches that come with this. Too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And technology's helped that headache. You can cut the key that. With buy here, pay here. Um, I never forget. I had an old man, very successful. He was a multimillionaire doing doing tote the note, but he always kept 300 cars on the books. I mean, he kept them rolling. Wow. Um, they had 12 salesmen, big dealership. Wow. 300. We're doing, doing. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of money rolling in. <laughs> yeah, it but is. This was the thing that was crazy is he said, number one rule. If the car stops, the payments do instantly. <laughs> if something happens to the car, <laughs> the payments are going to stop. And, you know, and, and I learned a lot from him. And, yeah. you know, when I was doing buy here, pay here, I was doing 10 cars, 15 cars, Yeah, you know, and, and I mean, it wasn't quite to that extent, but I mean, you can see where it could be extremely lucrative. Yeah. And it's gotten safer too. I mean, I know the guys that were doing it back in the day when they were having to do their own repo or hire somebody to do the repo. Well, that's craziness. Well, now you just cut the car off from exactly. your computer. You can, you can stop it on the, on the spot. And you know, we didn't have that stuff back then, yeah. you know? Yeah. And now it's getting cheaper and less, less expensive to do. So now that's just kind of the, the common thing. Yeah. So we're talking a lot about salesmanship and this podcast is all about trying to help men be successful. 
So whether it's car salesman, furniture salesman, whatever, what's the difference between a successful salesman and an unsuccessful salesman? I think it's the way you look at things. Okay. A lot of times people have a negative outlook and, and don't realize, and, and, and don't realize when they do how that affects everything they do. And I'll give you a perfect example. You know, you have somebody that's, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's it, the sunshine or it's, it's a damn hot today. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just hot. It's a beautiful day in the sunshine. You know, it's, yeah. it's, um, you know, it's, you know, it's the glass half full thing. You get guys that, that you get that, you get your mind thinking that, I mean, like I'll give you a perfect example, you know, somebody terminal cancer or, or terminally ill and they get in their head, they're going to die two weeks they're out. And then you get those people that are, Hey, I want to live and I want to do this. And those are the ones that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You, you know, years later, still live or something like that. It's all in your state of mind. If you want to fail, you're, if you think you're going to fail, you're going to fail. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not saying if you think you could fly, you need to jump off a building and give it a shot, but yeah, you know, within reason that's, and you can't go at life. I mean, obviously, you know, things are right. You need to have the right amount of doubt too, but you got to keep that balance. Okay. You can't just, you know what I'm saying? You can't let life get you down like that. Probably the best piece of I speaking back to the dad thing he ever told me, I went, I went through my first divorce, which was absolutely horrible. Videos on YouTube. It's, it's about 30 minutes long. It's called the hardest story I never told. Oh, okay. And just a, and it, it was a horrible divorce and I'll save you the, the details on that. <laughs> and I was down in the dumps and my dad, like I said, was the Mr. Cool drag racer guy. Yeah. You know, he was that guy. And uh, always quick to insult you. And, you know, just he was that guy. I'll never forget my dad put his arm around me. And he said, listen, you got to be like a rubber ball. He said, the harder you hit that ground, the harder you hit the ground, the faster you bounce back up. Mm. He said, you got to think about it. For every bad day you have, they win. Whoa. That's some wisdom right there, Rob. And, you know, I've took that with me. Wow. Every step of the way. You know what? You know, we have bad days here, you know, pl- I mean, doing anything, mm-hmm. you know, things happen, but you know what? You take that setback and turn it into a major comeback and you just <clears> hit the ground running. And I think it's funny how life will throw you a curve and the direction you end up going nowhere close. Yeah. You know, I said, you know, what, what's that saying? Like, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Oh, you know? absolutely. And, and, and that's, <laughs> and it's so true. I mean, you got to think about it. We were just talking about how much I learned about sales from stand-up comedy. And keep in mind, I've been selling cars since I was 16 years old. I wasn't even old enough to legally own a car. <laughs> I could write my mother's name better than she could on the back of a title. <laughs> All right. Now, this is what you got to think about. With this horrible divorce, down the dumps, my life is crashing around me. And, and like I said, you know, and it was just, just the end all be all. And mm-hmm. anybody that hears the details of the story will agree with me. It was a bad time. I had a buddy of mine who was lived two doors down from me. He's like, we need to go out. And I'm like, man, I don't feel like going out. And I'm like, you need to come out. He said, man, they opened up this new little open mic comedy club place in downtown. You need, let's go check it out. Let's mm-hmm. go laugh at some comments. You need to laugh. No, I don't want to. He said, listen, either you can do it with a black eye or not. <laughs> Take your pick, but you're coming. <laughs> so finally, 
finally, you know, after he started reaching back like he was going to hit, I said, hell, let's go. So I grabbed my jacket and um, we went out and I'll never forget. It was, I mean, there was probably 10 people there and we're standing there just sipping on a beer, just, just chilling out. Really wasn't feeling it, but I was there to appease him. Right. And, or not um, get your butt whipped. What else? Or not get your rear end exactly. whipped. Exactly. I was just trying not to bleed. And, <laughs> and uh, so we're sitting there and there's a couple guys got up and they were absolutely horrible comics. And then my buddy's like, he goes, man, you're way funnier than those. And I've always kind of had a sharp tongue on me, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's a good and a bad. And um, he said, you ought to give it a shot. And keep in mind, I mean, it was a double handful of people in this place. And I said, why the hell not? So I, I literally <laughs> take my beer, walk up on stage. I didn't even have to sign up. That's how bad it was. I walked up on stage and I started literally just picking on everybody. Just just unleashing my pent-up anger on them. And just like, you know, this and this and this and this. About five minutes of insulting everyone that's in the room. I said, that's my time. And I walked right back down the steps. Walked back over to the bar. This big fat guy walks up to me. He goes, man, you're funny. Now keep in mind, I just told this guy he looked like hamburger meat with eyeballs. (laughs) To a total stranger. He goes, man, you're hilarious. And I said, well, thank you. He goes, I'd like to get your number. I work for the radio station. And I'm like, he said, you know, maybe we'll have you on sometime. Okay, whatever. And I, I gave him my number. Never yeah. heard another word. Yeah. About six months later, I get a phone call at seven in the evening. Didn't do any more comedy, nothing. Feeling better, you know, kind of mm-hmm. getting getting back on track. <clears throat> I get a phone call. It's the guy from the club. Hey, I just found your number. I know it's really short notice, but can you be at the radio station at 7 a.m. in the morning? And I'm like, for what? He said, we're having a contest. It's like our version of Last Comic Standing. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, hell, why not? You know? Yeah. Well, I got there. There were 84 other people there in line <laughs> for this contest. Well, you basically did a round, like a two-minute set. Yeah. Had no set. Yeah. In front of like 10 people for the radio station. And later I ended up working for this radio station. But anyway, I'm standing up here in this room and I tell my jokes. By lunchtime, it's down to me and one other guy. Wow. On the next morning, we're both on the radio and the audience gets to pick the listening audience. You can go online and vote. And I ended up winning. Um, and I mean, that's just from that. It's like a movie story. But that's that's that positive mindset I was telling you about. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, I can't do that. Why the hell not? You know, give it a shot. And I mean, literally, I got paid with a a pair of Stone Temple Pilot tickets. (laughs) But I won. You know? And and then after that, I started going to some open mics. And I made friends at those open mics that I still have. Why my buddies in landscaping? Yeah. You know, to this day, they're still close friends of mine. Yeah. That, you know, that we've shared life experiences that I would never share again with anybody. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's back into setting your mind to it. And I'm going to tell you something, you know, back to setting your mind to something. I'll give you another perfect example before we get way off of this. You know, so divorced, 
outdate. And, you know, so I was always the guy that had a little money in his pocket and drove a Corvette. So, you know, I had no problem finding a date and, um, you know, and, and I'll always make you laugh. And that's something that, that I learned from comedy that if you can make somebody laugh, you can damn near make them do anything. Yes. And so, you know, and all the girls love a guy that can make them laugh, you know? And so I was, uh, you know, I could, I could, I could, I could land a date if I needed to. Yeah. You know, keep in mind back then, I weighed 300 pounds. I was a big dude. Oh, good gosh, Rob. I was a big guy. I actually weighed. So I was dating a girl that she used to be a bigger lady and she lost a ton of weight. She lost like 150 pounds and she went to the gym and she was, she was a model. She was gorgeous. Yeah. Um, and just, just beautiful. She was loan officer at the bank and, uh, you know, and, and, and here I am just a double cheeseburger and you got the Caesar salad right here with me. <laughs> and, <clears throat> you know, if we'd go out, I mean, this girl literally, I mean, she could stop traffic. It's just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And people were like, you know, he's got to be paying her or something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, naturally, you know, when you date someone for a little while, you know, they want to do things together and all that. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you ought to come to the gym with me. You would like it. And I'm like, I don't think it would. But, you know, I smoke cigarettes. I drink coffee. You know, I eat double cheeseburgers. I, you know what? I have a cheeseburger named after me here. You know, you really? so that's <laughs> and I told her, I said, I me, but she drove me to the gym a few times. The whole black eye thing gets me. So I went with her to the gym a few times and, and you know, it just wasn't for me. And she said something to me that just flipped a switch. Yeah. She said, I guess you just can't handle it. Whoa, a little challenge that there. That was hard. That was hard. Me and her had a few words, and, and needless to say, we party company that night. And um, I'll never forget, I was riding home, and the first thing I did, you know, keep in mind, in my Rolodex of sales, I have dealt with every walk of life. Yeah. Well, a good friend of mine was a personal trainer for a Mr. USA. Wow. And, and I mean, this dude's just monstrous. He's just a, a muscle with eyeballs. I mean, he's just huge. <laughs> and I mean, could tear your head off your shoulders and not think twice about it. I ring him up. I get him phone out and just call him up and be like, I want to go to the gym. I want to get in shape. He goes, Rob, you okay? <laughs> You've been drinking again, Rob. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. How much have you had to drink? Are you driving? <laughs> and, uh, and I told him, I, he goes, are you serious about this? I said, I'm serious. I said, I don't care what it costs, what it takes. I'm going to lose some weight. He goes, you know what? I'll take you on. Mm-hmm. He said, but you got to do it my way. And I said, I got this. I can do it. Keep in mind, I've never stepped foot in gym in my life. <laughs> I was a kid with clean white tennis shoes. You know, I didn't get, you know, I, I, I played football in high school. Two games. Two games I made it. Two games. Two okay. games. I mean, you know, 300 pound, 300 pound kids with a smoking problem generally aren't the best runners, you know? So <laughs> anyway, and uh, zero hand eye coordination. I was just not the guy for this mm-hmm. for sports or any of that. Still not. So anyway, I put on, I got my sweatpants, my tennis shoes, my t-shirt, got my sweat towel. I'm ready to go. Got my bottle of water. Mm-hmm. This, I'm just like, oh man, I got this. You know, literally flick a cigarette across the parking lot of the gym as I'm walking in. I got this. Literally leaving potholes behind me as I'm doing it. 
I walk in and he works me like a damn redded mule. I mean, just sweat, just literally just pouring down. I mean, felt like I was going to throw up. And he told me, I said, man, I really think I'm about to throw up. He said, good. If you need to, just go outside and do it and we'll start back up again. That's exactly and, right. And uh, he, he took no mercy on me. I'll never forget. He told me, he said, he said, you headed home? I said, yeah, I got to go home, shower and die, whatever. And um, he goes, good. He said, I want to go home with you too. I'm like, what? He came to my house, and I'll never forget, in my garage, I had a big trash can, you know, like just like 33-gallon or whatever in my garage. He grabbed it as we were walking upstairs. It was empty. Yeah. He carried it upstairs. My house, the kitchen was upstairs. He goes in my cupboards, all the Pop-Tarts and cookies. No. And all this stuff. He just starts dumping it. Goes in my refrigerator, freezer, all the frozen pizzas, all the, all the Hot Pockets. You know, all the ice cream and popsicles. All the good stuff. And just throws everything away. Literally cleans out my entire pantry and refrigerator. And uh, he goes, now we need to go to the grocery store. Take a shower. We got to go to the store, bud. And he waited on me. Yeah. And uh, we went to the grocery store and he explained to me about going to the grocery store and staying on the four sides of the store. He goes, there's only three reasons why you need to go down an aisle. One's to buy rice, one's to buy a bottle of water. Yep. And just that stuff. Well, I lost a hundred pounds in five months. Holy crap. Um, you got to think about it. I started out when he weighed me in the next day, he weighed me. I weighed like 296. Okay. I was down to 196. I actually got down to 177. Um, and she never saw me. Yeah. I lost a hundred pounds. Wow. Literally, like I was actually at the doctor. I weighed 301 when I was at the doctor for a checkup. And I went back to the doctor. I had a little cold and I went to the doctor and they literally like, like they're wanting to do blood work. Hell, they thought something was wrong with me because <laughs> of the difference in my weight. <laughs> my time. But, and, and I mean, because I set my mind to it, you know, he showed me what I needed to do. He showed me how to meal prep my food. He showed me what to do in the gym mm-hmm. and you stick with it. And, and it was just like, it's one of those things you set your mind to it. I've never done anything like that. And I'm still not a health food guy. I'm not yeah. any of that stuff. But I know when I start putting on a few pounds, you know, I know what I need to do to take care of that, you know, and, and all that. But when I set my mind to a goal, I've got the worst case of tunnel vision you will ever see. <laughs> but I make it happen. Yeah. You know, and, well, and I, I think that's a lot of success in sales and anything. Well, here's the thing about that. And it's, it's not, uh, I'm not surprised by your answer. I've, I've interviewed some some really successful guys on this show. Uh, one of them owns a, a, a pellet grill company in Augusta, Georgia, and uh, they didn't sell their first grill for a year of being in business, right? But he kept going, and and you with your tunnel vision. But there's another side to this that I'm fascinated by that I don't understand how you guys either don't have what I'm about to say or you figured out how to overcome it, and that is the fear of failure, when you walked up on the stage to do the open mic the first time, you thought you were just going to end up emotionally vomiting all over everybody to get all the stress out of, out of the crap that you were going through with the divorce, right? You didn't, right. you never worried about bombing. So where in the world did you get this gene where either you don't fear failure or you just blow right through it? I don't think it's a gene. I think it's something that's learned. You just don't take failure for an option. Not ever, you, nobody's good at everything. Mm-hmm. 
you know, but you know, you may not succeed on the first trip through, you may not succeed on the second try, but eventually if you keep doing something, you will get good at it, you know, mm-hmm. or, you, or you'll get better at it. I'm going to say good, but you know what I'm saying? And I mean, obviously some people are better at some things than others, but I think it's more or less, it's not making it an option. Yeah. I could fail. That's never crosses my mind. Never. You know, I'll, be, I'll give you a perfect example. We opened up a collector car dealership in the middle. I mean, literally, our first year of business within two months, it's a damn pandemic, and we're shutting the damn country down. Oh, no. You know what? I mean, I'm selling wants. I'm not selling needs. Right. I'm selling cars that people will love to get out and drive that are being forced to stay at home. Yeah. Never missed a beat. Sold 65 cars this year already. You know what? It's the power of the internet. It's the power of talking to them. And then there's other towns that opened up. I sell worldwide. I sell cars all over the country. Yeah. Um, they never shipped out too, too much, obviously. But far as, you know, I mean, I sold two cars to a guy in California. Just, you know what I'm saying? Just different yeah. things. And, 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 and that's, I think, you can't be scared. And I understand there's fear in anything like that new and new territory, but you got to do your research, do your homework. And, but I say that, you know, and I'm almost hesitant when I say this, but sometimes you can do a little too much homework. And I think sometimes you'll psych yourself out by doing things like that. You know what I mean? Like you do so much research on something that you literally set yourself up for failure. Yeah. Because you're reading into it. Sometimes you just got to jump up and go with it. You know, um, a horrible, horrible saying, think long, you think wrong. You know, like, like, you know, I, I don't know why I take that stupid saying to life sometimes, but like, <laughs> and, and, and maybe that might be explained why I got married so many times, but you know, this is the thing, you know, you got You can't be scared. You can't be scared to fail. You know, failure happens, but I would rather say I tried it and it didn't work. Then to say, you know, I had that idea a couple years ago to do this. That drives me nuts. I cannot stand yeah. it when people say that. Yeah. You know, why didn't you try it? Well, why didn't you try it? I think there's another side to it, actually. I don't necessarily think that you lack, uh, or Ray Carnes or any of the other guys that I've met, I don't think that you guys lack a, a fear of failure. I think what you have is a tremendous confidence in yourself that if things go sideways, you know that you'll put the time, the effort, or whatever. You'll figure it out. Well, and, and you got to understand, it's like playing a football game. You don't know what the other team's going to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can practice plays, and you can, you know, do, but at the end of the day, that quarterback, when you get out on that field, and these guys all scramble out, you see where I'm getting at. Yeah. And you got to yeah. approach life like that. It's going to throw you <laughs> curves. It's not going to work the plan. It doesn't. Yeah. And, you know, it's – I think that's a lot of it. It's just being a quick thinker, being, you know what, it just taking it, taking it day by day, one thing at a time and fixing the problem or moving on or whatever. Well, I think, uh, and I'm trying to remember who said this because I've used the quote forever. And the person said the two most uh, addictive things in the world are heroin and a salary. Very true. Right. And, and his point was, you know, we can get addicted to that comfort. You know, we as humans naturally gravitate toward comfort and we run away from discomfort. 
right? That's the reason when you went to the gym, you didn't have to wait on a machine because not everybody wants to go to the gym, right? And, and so I think that's uh, that's a lot of it is men especially get addicted to the salary, especially as you get older or as you start moving up in your company and that salary starts getting really good. It's like, wow, you know, why would I want to risk this? And they don't there, understand. There, there's, there's nothing wrong with a security net. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. And, 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 and I'm, I'm not saying that. Was you just, you were saying that about the salary comfort thing. I was talking to a kid. This is on Instagram. Literally. I get hundreds of messages a week. Yeah. From these guys. This guy sold Kirby vacuum cleaners. Woo. The, he said, you know what though? He's got to be a hell of a salesman. He's selling a $3,000 vacuum. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's hardcore right there. That's moving product. Yes. This guy was a little on the gangster side. You could tell, you know, but, uh, <laughs> he gave me some funny, some funny lines. He said, you know what they call a job? He said, just over broke. And, and you know what? It, it makes sense. It, what is it the way uh, I put it is a company will pay you just enough so you won't quit. Exactly. Well, but that there again, you do the same thing if you're oh, in that position. Absolutely. I'm not looking down on them. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that's the that's how it's all set up. I mean, not to get too off on one of my famous rants, but the whole education system was designed by Henry Ford to turn out factory workers. Exactly. Well, we just never have gotten over that. This is, this is another thing. And there again, this goes two ways. We're talking about like entrepreneurs and, you know, and, and, and and I'm, uh, you know, I, I don't think, you know, there's some people that use that term a little too loosely, you know, with a far-fetched idea or whatever. (laughs) Um, Everybody's got that one uncle, but on the other hand, I think so much thought is put into, you know, getting a, I want to go get a good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once you go make you a good job or learn a trade yes. or a skill and, you know, change this skill or change, you know, whatever, put your mark in it. And and that, that's something that I stress to people all the time. You know, you know, you got people that loaded up with debt, you know, student mm-hmm. debt, things like that. And with degrees for jobs that have nothing to do with their degree. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You literally put your life on hold for four years to get a piece of paper that says you sat down and showed up. And yep. And there's nothing wrong. I'm not knocking a college degree either, but putting it to use. You know what I'm saying? And and I mean, there's a lot of people that don't. And and it's, you know, I mean, I just think a lot of it at the end of the day is mindset. You know, I you think can take is. that degree and do something with it. That's mm-hmm. great. Or you can take that degree in communications and you can go, you know, work at Whataburger, you yeah. know, whatever. Yeah. And, and I mean, I'm not saying that's bad or whatever, but I think a lot of emphasis gets put on that. Well, you got to do this. Not absolutely. You yeah. know, but there again, there's nothing wrong with a little security net and having the skill set that you can fall back on. But it, a lot of times these kids get out of school and this is something I stressed to a lot of my guys. And because it was actually explained to me by a college recruiter. Mm-hmm. Said, Keep in mind, he said, public school is government. Yes. College is a business. 
Mm-hmm. And they're selling you that. Mm-hmm. Oh, you got to have this. You want to get that good job and you got to have this. You know why? Because that guy, when you sign up, he gets paid. Oh, just like, uh-huh. just like you know what I'm saying. That's how that works. It, it is. And, and I get on this one all the time and I, I just do it real quickly. So I work for Mazda Toyota is building a massive new assembly plant here in Huntsville. They're going to have 4,000 employees and there's six of us kind of outside processors that are all on campus. And I work for one of them. So I'm in meetings all the time with, uh, all of us and with, uh, Mazda Toyota about hiring people, right? The hardest thing we're having, the hardest jobs there are to fill are skilled uh, maintenance guys, people who know how to do, you know, electricians, plumbers, millwrights, die maintenance guys, trades. Uh, trades. Yes. People, men who know, and ladies who know how to work with their hands. I mean, I know jobs that you could walk into right now. I can put you to work tomorrow at 30 bucks an hour, which is $60,000 a year plus without a four year degree. If you knew how to do just some some of this stuff that you can go to uh, a trade school to community college in a year, learn how to do it and get it knocked out and go to work immediately. So I tell guys all the time, man, college is not for everybody. And in fact, the worst business to be in right now is college because the Internet is destroying their business model. Exactly. I would hate to be trying to sell college these days. Well, you know, you got all the online schools and things like that. Yeah. But this is the other thing, too, you got to think about with, you know, and this is that you can't be scared to get dirty. Everybody wants that posh desk job. Well, unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. No. You know, and, and, you know, and there's nothing wrong with being a plumber or being an electrician. You know how many very, very successful plumbers and electricians and, carpenters and 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 you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. that that i that i've sold cars to that i know that are you know living large living i mean not you know they don't live in a shack nailed together and you know no and two of the wealthiest men i know so one owns a business that does vinyl siding right and the other one is an electrician and plumber and he owns a a contracting company so you'll get this because you're a car guy you know what the hobby of both of them is they race cars. I we asked, know that's an expensive. Hobby. Right. I asked, I was talking to one, one of the guys I've known most all my life and I asked him about racing cars and how expensive it is. He said, let me just put it to you this way. It would have been cheaper for me to have a drug problem. Oh, it would have been way cheaper. And they could send you to rehab for that. They have nothing for racing. Something was told me, matter of fact, by the guy that I bought the stock car from, he goes, you know, the fastest way to make a small fortune in racing start with a large one mm-hmm. so i mean and that's what these two guys have done i mean they they're in trades kind of thing but they've made a fortune in life and so i just i encourage you guys that are listening if if colleges if you, let me put it to you this way unless you're going to get like an engineering degree or some kind of uh, hard science degree where you have to have that that piece of paper if you're just going to get a, a social Whatever, what was the social studies, that kind of thing. Right. Sociology, sorry. Yeah. If you're just going to get a sociology, save your money. Save your parents' money, right? You, you're not going to make any money with that at all. That, and, 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 you know, that's another thing. You know, that's – it's almost predatory the way they approach these young minds. You know, like, mm-hmm. you got to have this. you got to have that. No, no, you don't. And, and that's – 
you can go out, you can go to where you can establish yourself. You don't have as much debt. I mean, there's yeah. so many things. And not just, no, we're not just talking about just carpenters and building. How about body shops? Body oh, my techs, gosh. Automotive technicians in general. I mean, you're, you got to think about it. You know, I don't want to be no mechanic. You know, I know I've no automotive technicians. I'm talking about guys that work yeah. at shops, not own them, but work there. that make, you know, 120K a year and live extremely comfortably. Mm-hmm. Turning wrenches and and you know doing what they love you know, pedaling cars or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's nothing. There's nothing wrong with a truck. There, there's actually uh, I, something. I think it gets looked down on a little bit. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what killed it. I think it is too because what we're actually doing, we do that to a lot of men, is we're taking away. There's very few times a man feels more like a man than when he works with his hands, when he fixes something. Right. So like. Last weekend or weekend before last, whatever it was, my wife said, hey, all the toilet seats need to be changed in the house. I said, okay, fine. I go to Lowe's. I buy three toilet seats. I come back. It takes me five minutes each to change them out. It's, you know, a a monkey could have done it. And I'm walking out like going, yeah, look at me. I'm the man, right? Because it feeds into us as men. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of people that are in the trades, they get that. They get a little extra something that they get to they get to the construction site and there's no walls on the house and when they go home that night there's four walls go there's four walls up they could see something tangibly that they did yeah you know all right so i've been enough ranting uh i'll stop i do have one random question for you what's that you're a car guy. Uh, I've always been fascinated by the Cannonball Run, which is, if you don't know, if you guys listening don't know, it's a race, uh, not really officially a race. It's You leave from a garage in New York, and you end up in uh, California. And uh, there have been all kinds of guys have broken the record. But during quarantine, two guys set the record. And I want to know if you think it'll ever be broken. Their record is 25 hours and 39 minutes. I know those two guys very well. Do you? And uh, matter of fact, I have one of their vehicles in my shop right now that you may see in a diesel powered one. And I'll leave it at that. Okay. And uh, that's, that's nowhere near stock and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and I'll leave it at that. I don't think they want me to say much more. Okay. But uh, give it time. Do you think somebody will break 2539? Not a doubt in my mind. Dude, that's averaging like 110 or something crazy. Yeah, but this is the thing you got to understand when you can eliminate fuel stops. Uh, that's a good that's point. That's where you lose the most time. You can bring that average speed down. It's I, a numbers game now. And you got to understand where you lose the most time. It's not in speed, it's on those fuel stops. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Well, we'll so, uh so just to, just to just play devil's devil's advocate. Yeah, think about it when when Ed did when he broke the record mm-hmm. when he broke the record you know he stopped for 45 what was it 55 it's 45 or 55 minutes in stops mm-hmm. just take this into account keeping up that speed and never having to stop mm. so maybe it'll get below 24 hours at some point in the future I don't know if it'll dip below 24, but it's going to get close. <laughs> that That's very cool. Um, so we're kind of getting toward the end of how long I told you I'd keep you. So there are three questions I ask every guy who comes on the show. And so now you get to answer them. So here's question number one. 
what has surprised you the most so uh, in life so far? What's been your biggest surprise in life? YouTube all Uh, the way around. Um, you know, I've never three years ago, matter of fact, about this time, three years ago, I told my very first story on VinWiki had 150,000 subs. Now they have way over a million. Yeah. But, and you know, I told a story that I told in bars and, you know, leaning against the leaning, leaning against, you know, the counter, you know, in the dealership, you know, killing time. I've told the story a million times. Yeah. And I sat down and told that story. Now it's got 3 million views and it's, you know, you know, it's just that one part, you know, yeah. I mean, it's just, it blows my mind. The people that, you know, to this day still ask me about that. That's something I did 20 years ago. Yeah. And there's still, you know, just from that, just is snowballing to another channel and doing podcasts and talking to guys like you. Yeah. And I mean, just, it blows my mind. YouTube. I like it. All right. Second question. Who taught you the most about being a man and what did they teach you? So my grandfather and my father, both, it's going to be a pretty close tie between those two. You know, they were both real old school when it came to, um, you know, taking care of business, doing mm-hmm. what you need to do, you know, but doing it the right way and doing, uh, you know, like helping a charity or helping something, you know, and, 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 you know, there's nothing wrong with helping someone. Um, and I, and I, and I'll tell you another thing, and, and I know this is probably an odd answer. My mother, and I, and I'll tell you this, my mother to this day is the lady that, you know, like she goes to Starbucks, she'll buy the lady behind her's coffee. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I get a little of that heart from her. Yeah. Um, you know, just like I said, we just, you know, we did that big, the Ben Wiki car flipper challenge and we won with the rusty car. I love the Shriners hospital. Biggest reason I got into radio is to do radio thoughts for the Shriners hospital. Cause I love working. Wow. And you know, I put on a car show every year at Hendrix Motorsports for the Shriners hospital right here in Greenville. Yeah. And you know, I have done so much with them and that's just my good. If I have an option, that's always going to be my go-to charity. Okay. And, um, I, I think that that's, you know, so mom had a little part in maybe getting, getting this hustler with a little bit of heart. Well, you're not the first one. Uh, do you know who Marty Smith is with ESPN? That does. Oh, yeah. come, Marty was on the show and actually his mom got a shout out on this question too. So you and Marty both have really cool hair and now you both gave a shout out We're to your mom. down for the mama's boys, you know? <laughs> All right. Here's the last question. If I could take the DeLorean from back to the future and pull it up in front of your shop, stick you in it. And on the date pad, put your 18th birthday in and send you back so that you're sitting across from 18 year old Rob, the way you and I are, talking what would you tell 18 year old you Mm, listen a little more than you speak um and hold on (laughs) i'll be honest with you and and and, you know somebody somebody told me the other day they asked me i said rob what do you want for christmas and you know and i'm not a gazillionaire or nothing like i'm not rich you know but I've had such an interesting life and I've had experiences that, that I wouldn't trade anything in the world for. I wouldn't give, I wouldn't give all the money in the world for the experiences I had. I wouldn't give a nickel to do them again, either. <laughs> some of them, but I love sharing those with people 
maybe it keeps them from making the same mistakes I did. Yeah. Maybe, you know, it might light a fire under their ass and say, Hey, you know what? I can do that. Mm-hmm. You know? And, 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 and that, and that's something that I think that needs to be passed on with that, you know? And mm-hmm. I just, I, I, there's nothing. I probably would have used a little better judgment <laughs> picking vibes, but there again, that also is what drove me. So maybe if, if I didn't go through that, I'd have never got into stand-up comedy. I would have never, you know, you don't, yeah. you don't know how it would have been. And so I'll be honest with you. Like I said, you know, somebody asked me, do you have anything you want for Christmas? What do you want? You know, I want everybody to be happy and healthy. That's what I want. I you know, I, I'm blessed beyond belief every day. I love you know? it. Well, listen, where do people find out about you, connect with you? Where do you want them to go to find out about uh, you? And you can go anywhere. Rob rabbit pits on Facebook. You can go, uh, Rob underscore pits on Instagram. You can type in, hell, you can type in Rob on YouTube. <laughs> Rob, Rabbit, Rabbit Pits, Rob, anything, Rob Pits, Rabbit Shoes Cars. Um, check us out on YouTube. We have a lot of fun there. Um, we drop stories every week, and we do some motivational stuff, and we and we have some fun with that. And, and it's, it's fun to, to reach out with guys and all that stuff. Like I said, I'm always playing around, bouncing around on social media, so it's always fun to chit-chat with people when you can and all that. Good deal. Well, Rob, thank you so much. And uh, let's do it again sometime. Sounds like a plan, bro.